0: This program contains strong language. Hey, everybody. We have my good friend Megan here. Say what's up to Megan. What's up, Megan? What's up? So Megan is a Patreon member and a good friend of mine. Aren't you? Oh, I'm a good friend. Yeah, I put you on my good friend list. Yay. Megan knows me not behind the mic as well. And so she knows me in the real life, if you will. So I figured... We could do a quick little exchange so people get to better know the podcast host here. So Megan, if there's one thing that you think people should know about me off the mic, what would that be? It's so hard to choose just one thing. Um, So I made a little list. It's brief, but I think it is all encompassing of who you are. (laughs) Don't make me blush. So when (laughs) when Austin says he's nude, there's a good chance he probably is. After five years of trying to make it to the top, He is currently a kickball champion. His taste in music is pretty dope. And it can make anybody want to dance. And he hates wearing sleeves. Anything with sleeves is a no-go. Is that accurate? That that is accurate. That is good. So people get a better idea (laughs) of who I actually am. I appreciate that. Yeah. You know, I guess we can get into this another time. I figure we'll do a couple episodes like this where you can ask me a couple questions that you think people need to know about me. But um, I try to keep it... I keep it as PG rated as possible on the podcast, but would you say I, I've got a PG filter off the mic? Yeah, you don't have a PG filter. You uh it took <laughs> me a couple it took me a couple encounters with Austin to actually suss out his uh comedy style. I appreciate you calling it that, Megan. So what question do you have for me that we can uh, get answered here before we get on with this interview? So I know you have a menagerie of animals. I want to know which pet is your favorite. How do you spell menagerie? m-e-n-a-g-e-r-i-e oh nice see so this is what i yeah. do during the actual interviews when people say stuff that i don't know what it means that means a collection of wild animals nice I, I didn't, yes i did not even know that was a word <laughs> megan you're welcome my friend megan's much smarter than i am so what's my favorite <laughs> animal well that, would, that that's easy yeah that, that would be inception so we have two white cats and two white dogs and I think that's it, right? I don't think we have anything else. And you have else. fish, don't you? Oh, yeah, I do have fish. They're in the background while I'm doing these interviews. So yeah. the two cats, one's named Inception, one's named Neo. I've had them for almost like eight years. And then I got married to a lucky lady, and she brought in a dog. <laughs> and we got a, another dog recently. They're all white dogs there. So Inception's the cat. I like her the most, I would say. And part of that is because I actually ran her over with the car. <gasps> Did you know what? that or no? I told. I, I did didn't. not know <laughs> that. <laughs> no, I is it such a fat cat or skinny?
1: Yeah, that's skinny a fat, cat.
0: that's the one we call a fat cat. So this cat would literally just sit in the road um, all the time, and cars would come and honk, and it only move like half the time. And it, I'm like, dude, one day this cat's gonna get hit. <laughs> and then I was backing out of my driveway one day, and. Uh, luckily i had the w- windows <laughs> down and i rolled back and i hear the meow like obviously screaming it's not like meowing or purring or anything and uh <laughs> it was stuck underneath my back left tire oh no i was like oh <laughs> fuck so <laughs> luckily I, th- I picked it up and i took it to the vet and she survived but man i had a roommate at the time jay you know your good friend jay yeah he uh yeah jay, yeah, jay lived with me and this thing, I guess it finally ended up getting an infection in its stomach. And this is something I did not know about. Like luckily nothing broke in the cat or anything. Like I had to nurse it to give it water and Gatorade so it would like survive. And it did that mm-hmm. for about three weeks. And then afterwards, if they get an infection, like I guess her stomach opened up. Do you know about this with cats? This is what happened? No, yeah. I did not know that. I did not know this either. So if you run over a cat, you kind of learn this stuff. So then all, all of a sudden a hole, like a penny sized hole comes out in its stomach and then it smells like death it's like the worst smell ever and it got like as big as like i don't know maybe like a small lime from like a key lime tree that's how big diameter wise this whole guy kept getting bigger and bigger but like i thought she was gonna die because she kept getting like worse and worse but once her stomach opened up like the infections grossness came out and then she was like running around everywhere with like her guts like kind of coming out then it closed up itself isn't that crazy oh my this is why
1: cats have nine lives (laughs)
0: exactly well this one has eight now yeah so i I feel (laughs) kind of guilty. Uh, yeah i feel guilty so that's why that's definitely my favorite cat even though it's annoying and meows all the time so we'll stop there for on this episode as far as maybe we'll just do question for question on a couple we'll figure out how many episodes from now but okay i appreciate you giving the listeners a little behind the scenes look mego no problem austin If y'all have any other questions, email me, austin at millionaire-interviews.com. We'll have Megan read them to me. Maybe we can do a little faster pace. I gave her a little story that she didn't know about too. So now she knows (laughs) my... uh... Now I know. Well, yeah, you always knew I love my pussies the most. (laughs) Now you know which one I love the most. It must be nice to go
1: on five vacations a year. It must be nice to have this nice stuff. Oh, you're making so much money. Listen, motherfucker. I busted my ass day in and day out, don't tell me what I did. I know what I did. I will respect you. I will not judge you, but don't judge me for having what I have based on how I got it. This guy is going to be a joke. They would have laughed me out of the industry, and then I would have shoved it up their ass, freaking, you know, five years later. Wake up in the middle of the night, I'm in my underwear in my driveway, like, looking around, and I said this out loud to myself. If this doesn't get any easier... It's not worth the money. So I end up hiring a kid, fucking complete disaster. Back to the original story. I started, I cooked beef ribs in my mom's driveway. And I was like, this is going to be awesome. Looked up a recipe on the internet. I'm like, I'm going to smoke it, smoke it, smoke it. They were fucking garbage. I ate them out of principle. I think I actually got sick and threw up too. Jason Smurlow, 42 years old, out of Woodstock, Illinois. I'm the owner, founder, entrepreneur of Barbecue King Smokehouse. We've got two locations, Woodstock and Huntley. We're a full service barbecue restaurant that started out of my driveway and has grown into about a $6 million in revenue company with over 70 employees. And how did we get connected? Oh, you're a marketing person. That's what it was. She saw something I did on social and uh, reached out to me. And then I listened to a couple of your podcasts, said, hey, I can get on board with this and contacted you.
0: That's right. But I just wanted to show the value of reaching out and doing something, like how many people are passive and don't do anything at all. You did the work to email me and say, hey, I've got a good story. I want to be on it because most of our interviews are kind of outbound. We're going out trying to find people, but it's just taking that moment like you did to do something to try to get on the podcast if you got a good story and you said you did that. Maybe people could learn from it. So again, just wanted to point out: if you're just sitting there waiting for me to call you or email you, it would never happen.
1: And I'll expound upon that a little bit. A hundred percent. That's one of the things I'm putting out right now. This was 15 years of grinding and doing it. A hundred percent. If I feel that I'm entitled or I'm too good to reach out to you, I'm full of shit. You guys reached out to me initially. And then what I did is I went and did my homework to make sure that I knew that hopefully I could bring you some value. And then sent you a quick email and said, hey, I've got a pretty good story. I think people can learn from this. And here we are.
0: In case anyone forgot, now that we got talking a few minutes here. So you have two barbecue restaurants. Just give us a little bit better broad view of your company and what you do.
1: We started back in 2012. I opened up the first restaurant there. Before that, I had had a charcoal and firewood distribution company where I kind of gotten introduced to the natural products of smoking firewood lump charcoal, which is not Kingsford. Kingsford is a byproduct of lump charcoal, but it's natural wood that goes through the process and it just creates a better product. Did it out of my house for a while and ended up being really good at it. Bought a building in 2010, literally scraped and scrimped and built it myself for two years, and it was a joke in town that this place is never going to open. But the way that I kind of reverse engineered it, or had already created a brand, was that people were saying, When is Barbecue King gonna open? When that new barbecue restaurant opens, I hope it's really good. We started that one in 2012. I ran that one for five years, got all my numbers, just kind of knew what I was doing because I'd never opened up a restaurant before, never even been in the restaurant industry before. And then ended up running that for five years, was approached by another town, and ended up building a brand new $2.5 million building in Huntley, which now is just another part of our company. That is where we're at now. Two locations growing rapidly and just doing what we love.
0: These cities, they're basically outside Chicago, Illinois?
1: Correct. We're 65 miles northwest of Chicago. Woodstock is 11 miles north of Huntley.
0: Can you give us an idea of revenue and employees?
1: Yep. Woodstock, first year we had $990,000 in gross sales. And about 15 to 20 employees, that one has consistently grown. We're at 1.2 to 1.5, anywhere in between there. Huntley projected was, I guarantee, 2 million in sales the first year, and our projected is 3.5 million. That one started off with about 50 employees, we're up to like 60 or 70, a lot of them being part-time. It's definitely three times the size, even on the management salary side. We've definitely tripled the size of the company which we should because I pretty much did the worst possible thing and tripled the size of the venue, which everybody told me I was stupid for doing
0: it. So were you?
1: No, absolutely not.
0: I'm making sure. they will know if we don't ask. These two barbecue restaurants, and what's your vision for the future? Because I think that's what kind of got me excited too. I'm like, even to open up one restaurant, we can learn from any entrepreneur, but it sounded like you were really looking to expand this thing as well.
1: A hundred percent. I literally right now, as we speak, am working on redoing my website. So I'm working on an e-commerce platform where I can go directly B2C, Business to consumer, I'm bypassing the middleman. I'm also working with some partnerships on some sauces that I like that are guys that I just met through networking. We're going to end up rolling those up into our platform as well. Within the Humphrey store, I've got a complete separate to go area where we are going to do a pilot program to where I'm going to do like a small little delicatessen and have just grab and go food on top of to go and just see how that works out. Have it be like an old fashioned deli butcher shop, just put a little stuff out there and kind of get my feet wet with that. In the process of building a festival trailers and festival circuits, we've got a lot of big equipment for that. My realistic goal is to probably grow the company to 10 to 15 million in the next year.
0: And your total around four or five right now?
1: Yeah, four to five would be good now.
0: I just did the math from the other two restaurants. I'm not a genius. (laughs) most people know who listen to the podcast. What are a couple of things that you think we could learn from you right now that we're going to see in your story? Because we'll rewind it to the beginning and how you got started, just so it gets everyone interested on what they think they could learn from you.
1: What I want people to take away from what we're going to talk about today is that you don't know a single successful person in your life that hasn't sacrificed a shit ton. And I mean a lot from the point of having your one and a half year old son be with you at 10 o'clock at night because you just had a newborn daughter and take him and put him in your truck because you have a plowing company and he falls asleep to give mom a little bit of a rest from the toll on the family to just the personal sacrifice you have to make you don't know anybody that didn't work their ass off now i get it you can invent the next instagram facebook whatever but what you really don't know is like those guys that did that they were doing it way before it got big number one being an entrepreneur is tough as shit That's what I want everybody to take away from this. The fact that you put entrepreneur on your Instagram, on your Facebook, and you're an entrepreneur, you're bullshit. Don't dilute it and make it feel like, oh, it's so cliche to put that on my Instagram profile or my Facebook profile. It's hard as hell. Anybody that has been successful in anything, sports, business, marriage, has worked their absolute ass off. So I want them to understand that. The next thing is you have to understand who you are and what you're good at. You have to be self-aware. If you're not, you're literally gonna lose every time. Number three, if you're doing it for money, you fucking lost already. You're done. Money will come. You need to figure out who you are. You need to figure out what you're good at and what you love to do. The money will come and you will never work another day in your life.
0: Sounds like three good things and we'll hit on them again at the end and show through your story how we can reemphasize those three things that you wanted to point out. So I'm glad we kinda started off that way. Actually, I don't think I've even started an interview off that way. Why don't we go ahead and start off your story, your journey in business, if you will. So Happy to start wherever you think's best. I don't know if that's best out of Carroll University, where you went to college, or if we want to start at the beginning of Barbecue King's Smokehouse. You just tell me where you want to start and what year.
1: I'm going to go back to when I was like nine years old. So I'm born in 76. I'm 42. Do the quick math. I don't know what that is, but I was nine years old. And I remember my dad losing his job. And I remember us having to move out of our house and live with my grandparents. And we were like, cool, we're going to live with grandma and grandpa. Then I remember my mom going out at night and I'm like, what is she doing? And then she asked me, I had to go with her one time. And my mom was literally, she was a stay-at-home mom for four kids while my dad was at work because he was trying to find a job. He lost a job, but he tried to, was going out every day to try and find a job. While he was doing that, she would watch the kids. We'd go to school, do whatever. At night, he would come home and she would go out. I'm like, what is she doing? Well, I went with her one night and she was cleaning offices, commercial office spaces to make money. So I went with her one night and I helped her. I just wanted to. I didn't understand why my mom would have to do this. So I would just go and help her. And she might've even asked me, but I went over and I literally would clean. I was a nine-year-old kid, 10-year-old kid. And I would go clean office, office spaces with her to help make money. I think what that taught me and what my mom taught me, you have to do whatever you have to do to get by. So it started back then and I didn't really realize it. And I've been doing a lot of like reflecting in my forties, you know, 42, I'm so seasoned, but I think I'm finally figuring it out and where I'm at. And then that transitioned, you know, now we're going to fast forward into high school, I would say. I went through grade school, did all that. I remember my mom was very strict to the point where we know we ate healthy, didn't have a lot of junk food, things like that. She also knew what I love. And I really didn't realize this almost until now that I've been pretty much an entrepreneur or businessman my whole life. I just haven't figured it out yet. And that's where I talk about self-awareness. The reason I say that is because in high school, you know, pagers were big. We didn't have smartphones. I had a pager. I would literally sneak it into school and my mom would like page me. I owned a snowplow company. So let me back up a little bit. I had a snowplow company, went out, bought a truck, put a plow on it myself. I'm going to plow snow to make extra money. I'm going to do this. So I ended up getting some accounts and when it snowed, it snowed. It started snowing. I'd kind of watch out. I'd get pages. Hey, people are calling. Okay. I'd let her know i'd go to a phone i'd find a phone i had a brick phone back then that i kept in my truck because that was the big no-no you couldn't have a cell phone or a pager you were a drug dealer if you did that that was the whole stereotype back when i was in school i'd get out and then i'd leave school well she'd call me in sick oh jason's got to go to the doctor so what she did is she knew what i was passionate about and what i loved and she allowed me to do it but she held me accountable for doing well in school doing well in sports and taking care of my responsibilities so if i were to slack in school and i blew off and i missed an assignment she definitely held me accountable for that. But at the same time, she let me do what she knew I was passionate about, which was just business in general. Fast forwarding now, there was my high school years. I did things like a landscape company. I worked for a paving guy. I worked for a roofer during high school. And what that taught me is I didn't want to do this shit ever again, ever. We were going on vacation. Boss called me and said, hey, I need you to come do this roof with me real quick. I called my, said to my dad, I said, dad, I know we're leaving to go to Arkansas to see grandma. I said, can I go work real quick? Yeah, no problem. You have to be back by this time though. Okay, great. This guy literally takes me downtown Chicago, has me put some tar on a roof with my freaking hands, no gloves, and then takes me to a gas station and gets the tar off my hands with gasoline. And at the time I was like 15 years old. I didn't think anything of it. 16 years old. I was like, no big deal. Looking back at that, I'm like, man, I really did do anything. Again, it taught me that I didn't want to do this stuff Because I didn't like it. I did it out of necessity, but I was not going to do this the rest of my life. So I went and my dad at the time was working. He got a job prior to that. He was currently working for IBM Global Services. It was really in tight with the marketing guy. He said, Let me get you a job. He said, No, I said, I appreciate it, but I want to do it on my own. My brother was already working for him. He was working in IT. Uh, He was a really smart tech guy like that. Ended up getting a job as an executive recruiter. Didn't know shit about it. Didn't even know what the hell it was.
0: And what is it, in case anyone doesn't know?
1: Executive recruiter, the way I say it is, you're a sports agent, but for top-level executives. Now, this was a little entry-level. I recruited sales guys. We ended up recruiting software sales guys, CRM, SFA, front-of-the-house, big ERP packages. These guys at the time, that would have been, I graduated in 99, 99, 2000. That whole front of house sales automation thing was really getting started. One of the funniest things I like to do was I'd fuck with guys. I was 20 when I started that shit. I was 23, maybe. Right around there, 22, 23, I graduated. I had these guys who were, I thought, much older, 30 years old. I thought 30 was fucking old. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm 42. I feel like I'm 15.
0: I was going to say, too, because you're about five or six years away from starting your own business, too, at this point. But it almost felt like your own business. If you're in sales, I'd like to say, because you don't have all the necessary risk, but you're still learning a bunch, like you were saying.
1: I learned more in being in that market for probably four months than I learned in literally four years of college. Getting back to what I did, it is like running your own business. You're 100% responsible. You had the option to be on a salary or complete draw. Salespeople know what a draw is. Company gives you money. They give you $3,000 a month. You close a client for 10. If you close a client for $10,000 on a commission in two months, you're six in the hole. You're getting another check for four and you get to keep the six they already gave. I also learned where I was going, what not to do. The owner came from old school printing company. So his thing was, I'm going to recruit print sales guys. I know everybody, great model. But this guy would literally keep us in meetings from 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. When the fuck are we supposed to make phone calls? I need to get people from seven to 10, from maybe two to eight. Then he couldn't understand why we're not placing people. I learned about micromanaging. I learned about handcuffing people. I just learned about all the things not to do as I reflect back to that job. So that job taught me a lot. And that was one of the things I was able to do. It was a job, but I was literally learning everything I could like a sponge. This was another fun fact. i would go to meet with these guys. Now I'm 25, 26. They'd stand across the room from me and go, you're Jason. I go, yep. They go, holy shit. I wish I would have never met you because there's some snot-nosed 26-year-old kid standing in front of you in a nice suit. He looks good. He's a good looking guy still. You're responsible for my family. I'm 45 years old. I have to trust you with my career. I've got a wife and two kids what the hell do you know about business? You don't know shit. And I looked at the one guy and I said, hey, before you met me, did we have these issues? No. Then what the fuck's your problem? I'm going to get you this job and you're going to thank me. Are we good? Yeah, we're good. Okay, cool. So ended up placing him in the job and it was great. So that was one of the funny things that I learned. I just learned how to carry myself. People have these stereotypes.
0: Did you literally say that though too? Yeah. Why wouldn't I? I'm just making sure because some people, I mean, I can tell the way you've talked on the interview, which I'm fine with. But I just making sure even the guy meeting you who's 45. (laughs) He was fine. He kind of had a
1: reality check.
0: Which is good. I check people all the time.
1: You have to. You can see through their bullshit. And here's the thing. Why are you going to try and lie or fake it till you make it or front for fucking what? So your perception of people is accepted by you? Fuck that. Just be who you are and you're fine. And then you don't have to worry about, oh shit, what did I tell this person? I don't understand why people just don't tell the truth. The only times I've told the truth and it's screwed me, it's cost me money. You just have to come clean with something that, okay, you know what? My my company fucked this up. I'm sorry. Just do it. That's life. But people are so wrapped up in, you know,
0: what other people think. Especially today, like social media and shit. That's the reason I'm like, I'm, oh you don't understand my mindset. I, I never care what anyone thinks about me, honestly. So, that, you can't. Unfortunately, so many people do. So, again, it's like, yeah, your ability to not care and like understand that the reason you can even talk to them like that is because you're confident in what you're doing and you got that confidence from the work that you put in.
1: A hundred percent. And it works both ways. I don't listen to the people that tell me I'm the greatest barbecue guy in the world, I also don't listen to people that tell me I suck shit. That's why I love the industry, because some people are going to like it. Some people aren't. My dad told me something really smart. If everyone's your customer, two things are wrong. You're too cheap or you're fooling yourself. It's the truth. You're never going to get everybody to be your customer. So I did. I said that to him. You know, did really well at that. I was very successful. And I was literally driving an hour and a half. I was living with my mom at the time. I lived with my mom until I was 26. So I was at home still. It was my choice. No, I didn't have it rent free. I actually had to finish her basement. And help her with shit and do chores, if you will, but help her out financially just to do what I could do because I didn't have money to give her, but it helped me get on my feet. That was, you know, part of the sacrifice I made. All my other buddies are like, Oh, you're a fucking loser. You're at home at twenty six. I get an apartment, I got a car. Yeah, okay, great. I don't really give a shit. This is what I'm doing. I know what I want to do. I've got to save some money and go from there. So I did that till all the way up until literally two thousand
0: and twelve. Well, can I stop you there? Yeah. Did you know that two out of three guys will experience some form of male pattern baldness by the time they're 35? The good news? Well, with today's advancements in science, Keeps offers proven treatments that can combat the symptoms of hair loss. And you know what? Prevention is key. And Keeps treatments really work. They are up to 90% effective at reducing and stopping further hair loss. The sooner you start using Keeps, the more hair you'll save. So act fast. Many men have even experienced hair regrowth with keeps treatments so find out why keeps has more five star reviews than any of its competitors and nearly 100,000 men trust keeps for their hair loss prevention medication keeps treatments start at just $10 a month so why did i try keeps well if you saw my dad's hair or lack thereof then you know why i'm using keeps honestly what i liked about keeps the most was the convenient delivery at my doorstep And so, if you're ready to take action like I did and prevent hair loss, then go to keeps.com forward slash millionaire to receive your first month of treatment for free. That's keeps.com forward slash millionaire. Spelled out K-E-E-P-S dot com forward slash millionaire. This episode is sponsored by another great podcast. It's called The Meb Faber Show. The Wall Street Journal named it one of the top five investing podcasts that you should not miss. And if you're looking to learn from some of the brightest minds in finance or simply want to know more about investing in a casual and fun format, then it's a must listen. The show is hosted by Meb Faber, CEO of Cambria Investments and an award-winning ETF manager. The goal of the show is to help you grow and preserve your wealth by giving you new investing insights and ideas. So check out The Meb Faber Show wherever you enjoy your podcast. That's Meb, M-E-B, Faber, F-A-B-E-R. You don't want to miss it. So this is about the transition of you actually kind of starting your, we know you had all these other little side businesses that you'd done beforehand. Right. But the charcoal thing, was that your first? That was
1: my first real deal.
0: Okay. So yeah, tell us about how you got that started and then a little bit more detail, if you don't mind.
1: I got started with that. I talked to my friend, Gabe, totally awesome dude. His brother, Jack, owned lumberjacks firewood. I'll give him a shout out. He's a stud and said, Hey, I need you to come with me on something. And he had always done firewood to restaurants and residential and mulch. He had no desire to do charcoal. He's like, dude, you're a smart kid. He's like, I think you can do this. Jack's probably 10 years older than us. So I looked into it. Well, I'm like, I can do this. Instead of just buying charcoal from a distributor and reselling it like every other schmuck, I created my own brand, made up the logo, worked with a designer, found the bags, sourced the bags, got the printing done, found the guy to outsource manufacturing to out in the Ozarks, went out to see him, and they literally made my private label love charcoal. And I called it Barbecue King Charcoal. That's what I did.
0: So you were distributing this to restaurants. Before, you were distributing wood to these type of restaurants, any type of barbecue, if you will. They're buying it from you guys. And then they're also doing charcoal as well?
1: Correct. They used both. They would use charcoal and firewood. Wood, for people that don't know, a lot of wood goes into wood-fired ovens. They've got wood-burning grills. So a lot of your upper-end steak and chop places in Chicago utilize this because it's just a better flavor. Smoke houses use it now. We use a ton of wood in our restaurants now. And then the charcoal was these Brazilian charasquerias. They all were from Brazil, Brazilian immigrants that came over. And if you did any research, this is how they cook. They cooked in an open pit. So they brought this concept over to the United States, and it took off like wildfire in 2005 and six.
0: So, there were different restaurants that were buying charcoal versus wood?
1: Yes, a lot of different restaurants use this, and this kind of took off during that time frame. At one point, I had every single Brazilian Trascarria in the state of Illinois. I was like the Brazilian mob charcoal guy. They literally would come to me when a new guy came to town and they like, heard you're the guy for charcoal. Yes, I am. What can I do for you? And I set them up, and I got more money for my product. What separated me was. The service side
0: of it. How so? Like, how did you differentiate yourself service-wise from the others?
1: Because lump charcoal is lump charcoal to a key. It's like buying a Chevy. I, I'm going to buy a Chevy truck from, the, from you or for you. Who's got the best price? As long as it's the same options, it's the same shit. Charcoal is like that, but not. It's how they sift it out and how many big pieces you get. But as long as you have a good product, it's pretty much standard across the board. You're going to get $12 a bag. Well, I was at like $14. Eventually, I won up to 18 I was able to do that because, number one, I own the company. I was the only delivery driver and I was there selling these guys and I wasn't selling them on the charcoal. I was selling them on the fact, which I figured out really quickly, that if they run out of charcoal on a Saturday night, they're fucked because they're pulling 30 to $40,000 in gross revenue a weekend on a Saturday because this is the place you go into their concept was you have a red light, green light on a little uh, coaster and you flip it. And they literally, if you have a green light, they bring you meat until you want to throw up or stop eating. You flip it over to red, they stop. It was an all you can eat. But they're charging you $50 a head, no drinks included, just a nice badass salad bar and all the meat you can eat. So it was a great concept. And then they'd fill you up on potatoes and all this other bullshit too, fried bananas. But I realized that if they ran out of product, they were completely screwed. So I would take the ordering process out of the equation for the chef because he had enough to do and he didn't need to worry about me. I would put them on a budget per se. I knew every single account based on the day of the week that I put them on, and how much charcoal they used, because I figured it out in about two weeks. And they didn't even have to call me. They knew I would show up. They knew that I would go inside with a ticket, that guy would verify the delivery, sign it, and I'd be gone. They wouldn't even see me. They loved it. Because what I find out, and I didn't really realize how much of a value add that was. I was just doing the right thing from a business standpoint. I didn't realize how much of a value add that was until I actually got in the restaurant business. And anybody that's listening to this can attest to this. Vendors suck. They don't give a shit about you. And what differentiates my guys from the people that do business with me from everybody else is that I kind of hold them to that standard because I lived it. I'm not going to expect anybody to do anything that I didn't do. Okay. And I'm going to do that more when I get into the smoke houses, but I expect them to do that because I did that for my customers. So that's how I was able to extrapolate that and get more money for my product.
0: Right. And it makes sense because also too, like those guys, as you know, now that you own your own restaurants, but. If it's just automatic and you don't have to think about it, anyone will pay a premium for that. And it's not even necessarily even that much of a premium. Right. When you're saying it's only a couple more dollars a bag, why would I not have this guy? It sounds like what you would do after two or three weeks, maybe being in a restaurant, you could tell when they needed more coal. So again, you could just make it automatic and bring it in without them worrying about it. Is that how you did it? You just do what you just write it down. And you're like, on this day, I need to deliver this guy because based on my first two or three weeks, this is when they're going to need coal. I
1: don't know. I'm different, I guess. I just remembered it all in my head. I had 20 some accounts and I did it. And that's the thing. Again, back to like fake entrepreneurs and shit. I was doing it. I didn't hire a guy for $10 an hour, show him the route and point it off on him and be like, hey, I've got a business that's doing $400,000 a year. And I'm an entrepreneur and I'm a baller. I'm kicking back and I don't have to do shit. I'm going to go out on my boat and freaking screw off." No, I was in the trenches. So I knew that business hands down better than anybody because I did it. That's how you run a business. You fucking learn
0: it. Over the first couple of years, did you start making a profit right away? Just tell us about the first business experience as far as making money and bringing it home.
1: Bought a house. So I was living with my wife now. And I was making money. She was working. I was working a shit ton. We didn't have any kids yet. I mean, it started off slow. The first year, for sure, I clipped 100,000 in sales. I was like, I'm on top of the world. I mean, and the margins were pretty good. The margins were, you know, 20% or so. I mean, that's a good margin, but I made 20,000 bucks. So I didn't really have anything. But that's why it was my own. I mean, I did it. I owned it. It was funny. I grew it to like 400,000 gross sales where I was making uh, good money, increased my margins. I was probably making about $100,000 a year on top of, you know, I had a company truck, a company office. So I was expensing a lot of things that helped me out as well. And then the one year I expanded up and I wanted to grow it a little bit. I ran it up to like a little over half a million, but I realized that I made less money. I was just turning dollars to turn dollars. A point from this is there's a happy medium in your business. More isn't always better. I could have stayed at 400000 been in my wheelhouse and made $100,000 and $125,000 a year, expensed all I needed, expense, and lived a very comfortable life. No problem. But I always wanted more. But it taught me. And then I learned that. And I kind of weirded it back. I'm like, OK, I'm kind of stuck here. And there's some other outside factors that I couldn't control. Ultimately, what was the demise was that I didn't own a manufacturing plant. The EPA was not going to allow me to build one they were in effect retrofitting all these plants with $100,000 reburn systems where the smoke had to be funneled into the system, reburned for EPA standards, and these guys were having to jack up their price of their product, so in turn it transferred to me, right to my customer, and I couldn't compete with the big boys. I was actually pretty close to being either bought out or acquired by one of the bigger charcoal companies and they ended up finding out what I did, which is a smart move in the business side. I could totally respect it. They just went up and bought up my manufacturing plants that i was outsourcing to and then squeezed me and said okay you've got a brand it's going to cost you x but we're not going to private label it for you i was like you fucker so that's how they put me out of business
0: so did you end up selling it did you get a chance to sell it then to them or no, no
1: what they did is they literally bought my plant that had my barbecue king label bags and then they just wouldn't private label it anymore
0: right so it'd be their brand so you'd be doing it for them right
1: i just sell their bag but the other thing is i had another guy who i tried to partner with and this is a good learning point too I called him and I said, Hey, if you stick with me, because I was moving like two loads a, a week for him, which was a lot. So Semi loads, about a thousand bag And we were moving that. And I said, If you stick with me, I said, I will own Chicago for you. I will get you Chicago, the entire market. It's a huge market. You lock me in, we'll work together and we'll go. He didn't listen to me. He ended up selling because he called me about another guy who wanted his product. And he said, Okay, you know, I hear you. Two weeks later, I see his bag in one of my accounts. I asked my guy, I said, What is this? He goes, Oh, the guy dropped it off. He's like, He's at 13 bucks a bag or whatever. I might've been at 14, but he was a dollar less than you. I'm like, okay, well, what are you gonna do? I'm gonna switch. I said, okay, that's fine. So at that point it was Chevy versus Chevy doing the value add, but to them, a dollar a bag when they're buying a hundred bags a week, 200 bags a week is a lot of money for their cost. I can respect that. So I called him up and I said, Hey, I said, congratulations. I said, you just lost a load a week. And he goes, why? I go, well, I hope you are in good with so-and-so and he pays you because He now has those accounts. I go, I told you he wasn't going to grow the business for you. He was literally following me around to my accounts to find out who they were and then dropping off cards and just undercutting me solely on price. And he said, Okay, that happened to me. Ironically, after I got out of the business, everybody called me back and said, Please service our account. I said, You guys can all kiss my ass. I told you what was going to happen. It took two years, but eventually they all got fucked, were running out of product, couldn't get product, and they suffered and lost. Hundreds of thousands of dollars and got in big trouble before they could get their supply back up. And then ended up paying more money than I was charging them. So, karma, whatever you want to call it, foresight, value add, it bit them in their ass. I was able to provide value to them. And that's one of the other things. Be honest with people. And I was completely honest with my supplier in Missouri. He didn't trust me. I don't know why, but he just didn't do it. So, it was fine. I was over it. I brought value to those guys by doing what I did as a service. I didn't charge them for it. I mean, I got a premium for my product, but I wasn't out of the ballpark. I was like maybe 50 cents a dollar higher than the next guy. But I just provided that service where they would pay it. Because I had guys beat me up over a nickel. Hey, this guy sold it for fourteen 25. I'm like, okay, I'm at 14 30 Oh, yeah, I'm going to go to this guy. But then the next week, he'd call me back and be like, oh, yeah, he didn't show up. I go, yeah, he didn't show up because you can't operate a business like that.
0: It sounded like maybe they did like your service you are saying in the beginning about the automatic drop off and stuff, but then... Were they trying to pinch pennies because of the economy and stuff?
1: They were. It was partially the economy. And you know what? Restaurants are restaurants. I try not to do it, but I find myself doing it. And I really don't. There's things that I overpay for in my restaurant just because of the service. And I realize the overall consequence, if you will. Right time. But that's easy for them. you know. If they can get it here in the same amount of time and they can have a decent delivery schedule, it was just a product. I didn't have an advantage on the product. I had an advantage on the service. And then a lot of times, the chefs would change. The one company got sold to another one. They had just overpaid for a freaking business. So they're like, shit, we're not paying 14. We're going to pay 13 or whatever the number was. So I understood the whole concept, but that's where it really got me thinking that I ran a business. I started something, but I didn't have all the control. I didn't control everything. I was still victim to somebody else or hostage to somebody else. Because at the end of the day, if those guys say, I don't want to make charcoal for you, I'm fucking out of
0: business. Right. I guess I can even relate it. I said something about napkins earlier. If you're buying napkins or something, and at least they're better quality napkins, you're willing to pay that price extra. But you're saying, again, for coal, it just doesn't make sense for them because no. it has to, that that's all the same, basically.
1: It is. It's like buying a same model car and the guy's going to it commodity. he's not going to so. make as much money. You know what I mean? That's, that's what it went down to. It's just how much money did you want to make? I was in a spot to where I was growing my company. I wasn't comfortable making two dollars or $300 less a week because I'd been accustomed to it. But I stuck to my guns and remember what my dad said. And that's just how it was. The market's going to tell you. The market's the market. The market's going to tell you what it wants to tell you. You either adapt or you move on. And I moved on.
0: When did you close the company? And like, how were you personally? Like, did you save your money where you're like, hey, now it's time to open up my own barbecue restaurant. I'm tired of being, even though I started my own business, I'm kind of still slave to these guys. So what did you do next?
1: What I did next is that company, I ran actually six months into the opening of Woodstock. And there's a transition period here. and I'm going to be real quick on it because I don't like bring that part of my life into it. But I got called to be a fireman. So I'm a full-time fireman too. So I work one day on two days off. I don't tell people that because firemen have a tendency to, oh, you're great. Thank you very much, whatever. Trust me. It's a great job. I respect the hell out of guys that do it. I respect myself for doing it. You definitely see a lot of shit. It's helped me personally more than anything because you just see people at their worst time. But what I did is I got a call. My father-in-law was a retired fireman. So I got a call. My name was up on the list. I had taken a list. I didn't know this was going to go. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know anything. At that same time, and I forgot this part, when I got laid off the recruiting company, the old man had called me back probably a year and a half into my business, two years, and wanted me to come back and run an office for him in Vegas. And I told him, I really appreciate the offer, but I have to turn you down because I have to see through my company because I will regret this for the rest of my life if I don't see it through. Always wonder what could I have built, what could I have done. So I turned him down. Ended up taking this fireman job real quick. Had to figure out how do I keep this company going because I've worked so hard for it. It's my baby. So I end up hiring a kid, fucking complete disaster. Nursed it along for a couple years, and then in 2012 is when I opened the restaurant. But I bought the building in 2010. So yes, I had saved money. My wife was working full time. We were just banking her money. Just being very frugal. I mean, don't get me wrong. We enjoyed ourselves, but I didn't go out and buy a fucking Corvette or go on fancy vacations. And I didn't go on a vacation for, I think, the first 10 years that I was in business for myself. The thing that forced me to go on vacation was having kids. That was it. So I saved money. And my mom happened to be a realtor. She'd done that for years and years. She was always looking for me because during this back half of the charcoal time, I started cooking and messing around with smoking and doing things.
0: One second. I just want to make sure we keep yeah. everything straight. So you're saying basically you saw the writing on the wall with your coal company uh-huh. and then you went to go get a firefighting job at yep. that point. Okay. Yeah. So you realize that, you know, you might be out of business. You're going to become a firefighter. You hired a kid to kind of keep it going, but it sounded like that wasn't working out. You found out later on. Right. Okay. So, yeah, you're being a firefighter and then. I guess, yeah, jump back in. I just want to make sure because there's a lot of, yeah, I know. I, I want to bring I'm it as clarity. Sorry,
1: man. Yeah, no, it's fine. It's
0: all good. So we're all back on the same page. Okay, cool. So yeah, you're saving money and then you're talking about your mom being a realtor. It sounds like maybe helping you buy a building.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Wasn't too sure. We had been looking for probably since 2009, every building that I'd come across. Oh, this got an offer on it. Oh, this one's sold. It just didn't work out, which taught me a lot. If it's not meant to be, it's not meant to be. She kept telling me that I would get pissed. Like I would literally get pissed because I was cooking at the house. I would, back to the original story, I started, I cooked beef ribs in my mom's driveway, and I was like, this is going to be awesome. Looked up a recipe on the internet. I'm like, I'm going to smoke it, smoke it, smoke it. They were fucking garbage. I ate them on a principle. I think I actually got sick and threw up too. So it's a funny fact. I tell that story because, oh, you're just so good at everything. But I wasn't good when I started. I mean, I suck. If I would have made you those ribs, and then I told you in whatever, in five years, I'm going to open up. A barbecue restaurant it's gonna be some of the best in the country You'd be like you suck at this like they were bad my wife wouldn't even eat them she's like i'm not eating that i did that at the same time and i started off this kind of passion for cooking my mom was always a good cook so i grew up kind of knowing how to cook but i would get pissed that i couldn't get a building i'm like what the hell is going on well eventually it kind of clicked and everything came together i wasn't ready for it i really didn't have a ton of business i was kind of putting the cart before the horse I ended up what really made me hardcore press was my brother was good in IT. I started a website, started poking around and doing a little a big events. I do the county fair, but I was doing this all in my house illegally. I wasn't sacrificing food standards. So all these people that are going to listen and say, Oh, use a dirt bag. No, I was probably cleaner in my house than most of the fucking kitchens you see out there. I guarantee it.
0: Yeah. Cause see in a lot of kitchens, right? Yeah. With the coals. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> the shit that I saw, we can do another podcast on restaurants <laughs> not to eat at. But the people since then, they've had the ability to license people out of their houses to actually do things out of their house now. So I was kind of ahead of that again. Well, I got really busy, got on the internet. One day I get a letter or an email from the health department. Hey, where are you doing all this stuff out of? And I was like, oh shit, I've got a commissary that I can do this out of. And literally like wake up in the middle of the night, panic because I'm smoking a pig and it takes 16 hours to do it the way we do it. Wake up in the middle of the night. I'm in my underwear, in my driveway, like looking around. And I'm thinking to myself, this is a government entity. There's no fucking way that these guys are going to be in the bushes trying to spy me and catch me in the act. But either way, I knew this was time for me to kind of get like legit, if anything, and get with it. So we started looking hard. And then in 2010, I bought the building, still was doing the same thing. I just got kind of too big. I remember I did a county fair where I cooked a county fair for seven days, sold probably 50 pork butts. And I cooked every single one of them off of a big green egg that did like three at a time in my backyard, you know, and just kind of evolved from there.
0: Okay. And I want to keep this story straight again, because everything's been pretty clear, I think up till now Mm -hmm. doing the barbecue stuff. So you and your wife, did you saved enough money to buy a building and do this because you realized over a couple of years that you could finally get good at cooking barbecue and you're like, Hey, this is going to be the next business I can open. We need to save our money and be able to put down a payment for a restaurant. Was that the grand plan?
1: Right. That's what it was. And I had been doing well enough in the charcoal business to where I had money to do that. Her money was just, we kind of took hers as like personal. We had put a big chunk down on the house. So her money was there, but not really there. We'd bought another piece of property because we were going to build a house, but we had saved money. Yes. My business was successful enough to where I had money, where I could afford to look and put a big down payment on there, you know, get everything up and running. So yes, I saw the forest, the trees. I had the perseverance to gut it out. It's just, I was growing at such a rapid rate. I needed something like now. Okay, now's the time.
0: Yeah, especially because of the government letter, right? Because the health yeah. department, or else you're going to be screwed if you don't have somewhere where you can say, hey, I've been cooking it here. Yep. Yeah. And what I found out is the people that were working
1: legitimately were pissed. I wasn't undercutting anybody. I was just better than them when I was getting all the business. So they were pissed. So they called me in, which whatever, fine. I don't care. Do what you got to do. It'll just make me stronger. Yeah, that's what we did.
0: Okay, so you buy the building and just tell us about this because you said it took two years to get running yeah. from there.
1: Yeah, <laughs> uh, I bought the building in 2010 had a legit corporation, did all that, and basically didn't have any money left to revamp it. You know, I bought mm-hmm. it. Great. Now i got a building. I've got a mortgage. I've got taxes. I Now I have to work as a fireman. My charcoal company's pretty much non-existent. It's kind of hanging on by there. I got the plow company kind of going. So I'd wait literally till winter. I had a couple of trucks going and save up money during the winter and start working on the building. And fortunately enough, I had my best friend, Derek, who was really handy in construction. He went to work when he was 18, right out of school to do construction, he was the one that helped me rip this place up and tear it down. And when I mean rip it up and tear it down, my brother was there for me too. My brother had hated his job, quit corporate America. I told him, hey, I bought a building, I'm opening a restaurant. He's like, I'm fucking in, dude, quit his job. He's living with my mom in like a a week. Like, mom, Kyle's coming back home. He's like, all right, cool. (laughs) And that's what he did. He literally was so miserable in corporate America. He was making $80,000 a year, came to literally make 30,000 bucks a year because he was happy. So that's another point of this whole thing. Do what makes you happy. He did. He loved it. It It's the best thing he ever did. My mom loved it because she had a roommate. Now, Kyle was back home. Awesome. I was right down the road with my wife, but I wasn't going to go move back with my mom. I did that long enough. So he did that. I remember telling him that, that this is what we're going to do. And he's like, all right, cool. And we spent the next two years gutting the place, sanding concrete floors, knocking out walls, building the tile. We did everything. We did the electrical. We did the plumbing. I cut all the concrete out of the floor dug it all out and took the buckets out, five-gallon buckets at a time, laid all the pipe. I mean, I know every single aspect of that first location because I built it with my bare hands. I didn't have money to go get a construction loan and be like, okay, guys, see you in three months. I'll be in Florida. I did it over two years. I also personally, and I mean personally, myself, cleaned my kitchen. It was an old restaurant and the guy went out of business because he was a scumbag. Bought the building And it was filthy. It was very apparent to me. I wasn't even in the restaurant business, but it was very apparent to me why he went out of business when I walked through that place.
0: So your kitchen was cleaner than that place? My kitchen's still are cleaner than... Yeah, I mean, you're at home. Your original at-home kitchen.
1: Oh, yeah. That one was way... Oh, my God. I'm telling you, if you met my wife, you would have no... People that knew us that were doing stuff for friends and family, they had no issue. And they were, like, writing letters on behalf, like, you need to go inspect their house. Their house is immaculate. Like, my wife's a freak. It's crazy. At first, people would come in our house and say, do you guys actually live here? I'm like, why? Because it looks like you're selling it because nobody lives here. It was crazy.
0: And is it still the original location? Because I'm looking it up at Google Maps right now. Is it 125 East California? Yeah, that's Street the original one.
1: That's the original location. It's about 2,400 square feet total. Seats 45 people.
0: Yeah. And so I could see where it was. It kind of looks like this old restaurant. It might have been almost a condemned kind of looking building. And it looks very nice now. 100%. Now I can visualize and I guess anyone else who's on their phone, if they want to look it up. Yeah, if they want to look it up and website. you can see
1: where that register is. That was a wall. We've knocked that wall and I opened up the kitchen because my concept was, I have nothing to hide. You can mm-hmm. see my guys in the kitchen and what we're going to do. I mean, right. we had to cut a hole in the side of the wall, lower the smoker down because that alley is like a foot higher on the, if you're facing the building from the outside on the left side or on the west side of the road, the alley is a little bit higher. It was snowing. I don't forget it was February. We cut a hole in the wall in the middle of February. It starts snowing and I've got a can imagine this lower down a 2200 pound smoker that holds a thousand pounds of meat on these planks to get it in the building and the restaurant's not even up and running yet we had to get it in before we framed the walls because it wouldn't fit anywhere else right so that's the kind of shit that we did
0: to me it almost sounds like you're kind of like addicted to work at this point because you know you're working at the firehouse too you're putting more money into this i mean did your guys at the firehouse make fun of you think you were crazy for doing all this?
1: A hundred percent.
0: You know, they're sitting there
1: bitching about how we need it. We got to get a 3% raise. I'm like, you fuckers make 80,000 bucks a year and work 90 days a year. We have it. We're okay. We're away from our families, which there is a point to that. That's a whole right. other topic, but I'm not downplaying first responders. I'm not downplaying firemen. We have a very good job, but the harsh reality of it is, is that it does take a mental toll on you and your family. It really does. Between the things you see and everything, it's very, very challenging mentally. Like it takes a toll, a hundred percent.
0: And on your days off, I mean, at least maybe again, not downplaying it but they get to rest, right? But you're going in no. trying to go ahead and do the rest. Most of the old
1: guys that I came on with, they were plumbers. They were carpenters. Wow. They were roofers. They didn't make enough money. They would work 24 hour shift. If we got sleep, we got sleep where we happen to be at a busy department. So we did not get sleep. They would go and work all day. They were non-existent in their kids' lives. And I didn't want that for my kids. I had small kids. I knew from the ages of, One in three, they weren't going to remember shit. But I knew from three on, I was going to have to be around. So I'm on a time frame now. I'm like, I've got to get some shit going because I don't want to be the absentee dad. I want to be there for my children. Work-life balance. Back to your original point. I enjoy the process. And I just realized that when I opened up my new restaurant. Having the $3 million, the triple revenue, all the extra employees, that's all fine and dandy. But what I really enjoy is the process in getting there and the work. That's what really gets me going. That's what really gets it done for me. The point that I want to make is that that is vital to your success.
0: Well, I guess even at this point, I mean, it took you two years. So tell us why it took over that time. Some people to be like, why couldn't you get it done in three months or whatever? But it sounded like you had no money, so you had to do it yourself too. What other hiccups were there? Because were you still able to sell barbecue, I guess, at fairs and stuff from this building or what?
1: I was. Perfect example. I would do a catering event, like I'd book a catering event. Well, guess what? I can't work in the building, but I'm gonna get two thousand dollars or fifteen hundred dollars, whatever it was. Those were good events. I was making good money doing that. You know, I'd make probably a thousand bucks a weekend, so I didn't have any cost and every overhead. And I would just take that money and immediately dump it in. Well, then I had to save up and do it little by little. So as I saved the money, I would just do it. And the guys who did the plumbing, electrical, and the carpentry were all friends of mine. They all helped me out.
0: Well, that's good. I guess they're firehouse guys, huh?
1: It's exactly what it was. I mean, the guys literally—they work jobs, and that's what they would do. And we would trade, you know, I mean, I had to pay them for free.
0: Yeah. But hopefully a friendly fire discount or something like that. Exactly.
1: No, they, they take, we take care of each other. So it all works
0: out. So tell us, I mean, what's going on over these two years to open it. I mean, just the whole time, every weekend or every time off, you're, I guess, trying to fix it up. And then tell us what happens from there. Cause I know we're about 2010 is when you actually opened or 2012 is when you actually opened the restaurant.
1: Right. 2012. So we bought it in 2010. So these two years, yeah, it was saving money. And then remember this, now I've got a full-time job. So every third day, I've got to go in. I get nothing done. Then I've got jobs in the weekend. So if I caught where I had a week where I work Monday, I got Tuesday, Wednesday off. Okay, I can do a little bit over there. Well, if I didn't have any money, I'm not working over there. because so I don't have any money to do anything. So then I'd have to work on the weekends. It was just a slow process because I had to do whatever I had to do to scrape money along to make sure now I've got a mortgage and I'm a wife and just make sure that I wasn't sacrificing my family life for the business, which it was anyway, because they owed us a lot of money. I think that company still owes us a bunch of money. What company? The Smokehouse, because we put in personal loans and everything to it.
0: Personally, what was the hardest thing you had to do during these years? Because again, it's good. I guess you said you didn't mind making the sacrifice of not seeing your children probably from one to three years old, but realizing once they get more developed, that's going to be an issue and you're trying to put in the hours early.
1: The hardest thing was my wife. She stood by me the whole time. I mean, it was it sucked. Like, Here's a funny story. Her mom... (laughs) Her mom would tell her that I had a girlfriend. I was cheating on her because nobody (laughs) works this much. I swear to God. I believe you. You want to know the funnier part? The funnier part is her mom works for me now. Her mom's my secretary. So it's it's fucking hilarious. like she's literally in the other room right now.
0: What? You're cheating on her with her mom? No. (laughs) No,
1: you fucker. I'm kidding. (laughs) No, I (laughs) know. But no. Yeah. That's what she would tell her daughter. And I was like, you got it. It's like, nobody can work this much. But everybody that knew me knew how hard I worked. Right. It wasn't for me. I can take the brunt. I can sacrifice the shit out of anything. It was my wife not being able to have her husband there when she had to go to a friend's event. It was, oh, I see how things are going. he doesn't want to be around. It was all the bullshit that's made me who I am by saying, I can't hear you because you don't know me. And wait till this thing goes because that was the foundation of what now people think that I've exploded into. Right. This shit didn't start fucking five years ago. This shit started way before that when I started the charcoal company. Now it's just evolving.
0: You know what? Hiring isn't as simple as putting an ad in the paper or posting on a job board. When you're juggling hiring with everything else it takes to grow your business, it's important that you reach the right candidates at the right time. And that's where LinkedIn comes in. One of the features that I find most valuable on LinkedIn jobs is being able to target someone in your geographic area. And they're able to change the hiring process by not only finding the best candidates, but again, finding them where you need them. And did you know over 600 million members visit LinkedIn to make connections, to learn and grow as professionals, and to discover new job opportunities? See, that's how they make sure your job post gets in front of people with the right hard skills and soft skills to meet your role requirements. Things like collaboration, work ethic, adaptability, LinkedIn... Does the legwork to match you with the most qualified candidates? So you can focus on hiring the person who will transform your business. And guess what? A hire is made every eight seconds on LinkedIn. With LinkedIn jobs, you can pay what you want. And the first $50 is on them. Just visit linkedin.com forward slash millionaire. Again, that's linkedin.com slash millionaire to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's pretty obvious. I think mostly we're going to try to talk about those smokehouse barbecue here, but how long have we talked up till this point? We haven't even talked about opening day. Why don't we jump to that point? And I think we all understand, again, these sacrifices that you're making just to build up talking about your most successful business, it sounds like now.
1: Right. We get there. Fast forward. We're open. A lot of hard work. Everybody knows that. One second, how was opening day? Because
0: I know sometimes that can be an issue.
1: It was an issue. It was fucking crazy. (laughs) you got a guy now i worked in mcdonald's in a country club i worked in mcdonald's for a week hated it worked in a country club for a week hated it that's the extent of my restaurant experience the right. extent of it mm-hmm. so i open up i've got my pos company there i'm like okay let's go we had a line out the door there was 30 people in line so we start freaking making food and i had no idea how much to make nothing <laughs> none of my pans showed up so i had fucking like his ghetto ass prep cooler with half my shit in it half it's in plastic it was a mess I wish I'm so pissed at myself I wish I would have documented how I opened that restaurant because oh I'm just so pissed it would have went fucking viral this guy is gonna be a joke they would have laughed me out of the industry and then I would have shoved it up their ass freaking you know five years later because of what I did but I'm not kidding you I tell my guys that work for me now I'm like you guys have no idea absolutely none what happened that and that first day fucking the first week the first month for all we care so we open up it's crazy just asses and elbows everywhere we get through the lunch rush i'm like all right cool what do we do freaking this is awesome we did like two thousand bucks three hundred and thirty dollars i'm like oh fuck i fucked up like that's literally what i thought
0: yeah because you've been building up to this point right yes? yeah. you're so excited about it yeah
1: 100 percent, dude like this was it man this is my lottery ticket like i'm in
0: <laughs> and especially i mean it must have been hard too if- I guess if you tell your wife about that first day too, because she's made all these sacrifices waiting, and then you have to tell her about the first day. No, I didn't tell her. That. Okay, all well, this good.
1: You know, up consequently, working, helping out at the bar a little bit because I only had the one kid, which was fine. Actually, you know what? no, Juliana was just born in April, so Juliana was six months old, so she was not there. She didn't come till like a year later, so that was even perfect. Yeah, she was at home. I was going? Oh, it's going good, honey. Everything was going, but we'd get through the lunch rush, and then we're trying to hire people because me, I was a control freak. I had been doing the exact opposite of what I said I was going to do. I'm like, I have to be in the kitchen. I have to know my food quality. But I was actually being right or being correct in what I was doing because food and service are number one. So we stumble across our first week. We don't have any idea what we're doing. Absolutely none. Par numbers, this, that. Um, we're selling out of stuff. We're running out of stuff. Oh, the buns are cold. Oh, I can't get this. here. I didn't have any idea on how to order, how to do anything. Middle of the week, the order shows up with the pans. The guys are like, all right, cool. We're actually going to run like a legit prep table and everything. So we get all that ironed out. You know, the days going to weeks, the weeks going to months. I'm about probably a month in. I'm 100% no bullshit, working 20 hours a day. I'm getting up at six. I'm coming home at two. I don't see my kids at all. Juliana's six months old now. Gavin's two years old. And they don't get to see their dad unless mom brings them into the smokehouse. So I remember, I remember it very vividly. I would take all the money home. I would do all the drawers in my house. I had to put all the change in, make everything right for all my employees because they had to have tills and things like that. And I remember getting up, watching the sun come up, looking at it and going, and I said this out loud to myself, if this doesn't get any easier, it's not worth the money. Because I was making money, but I wasn't making money like, man, did I misjudge this? And I remember saying that to myself. And then it just kind of evolved and got a little easier over time. And the other point, or the other real thing that stuck in my head was, I had probably about three months in, Everything was kind of moving. It was kind of evolving. We got some par numbers down. I mean, I opened a restaurant with zero par numbers. What's a par number? A par number is like, on Tuesday, we're going to go through five pork butts, three briskets, and 10 slabs of ribs. Mm -hmm. Because we know based on historical sales, this is what we're going to do. Like, I didn't know what those were. Well, I've got three months. So I'm starting to get those in play. Now I've got to make the sheet. I didn't have any freaking recipes. They were all in my head. We were making the sauce in-house, and I was literally standing over them telling them what to put in there to make it. And then when I finally found out about a guy who I could outsource it to, he's like, okay, give me a recipe. I gave him the recipe. It was so fucked up. It was wrong. I had to go to his shop, do it by eye, and weigh it out. And he's like, this doesn't make any sense. To go make it like that. It'll taste right every time. And that's the original recipe that we've got at his facility. We laugh about it till this day. Because that's just how it is. There's no secret formula. I mean, this is real shit. This is how I opened this restaurant. You look at it, it was a fucking train wreck. It's the good thing we had good food. I mean, no shit. Well,
0: did you quit your firefighter job too? No, dude. I'm
1: still doing it now to this day.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. That's why I was a little confused. Like, even the days off. So, what did you do on the days off? Did you actually hire a manager? Yeah. It was my
1: brother and my mom when she was still alive. They were still there. And then she would, my wife would go in there. But she had two kids. You know, she'd stop in with the kids, just checking everything. So, that's, I mean, and I had to go. I didn't have a choice. I could trade some days and do something so I could get like a month off. We've got a pretty nice schedule. But believe me, I'm paying those days back. So, I'm working double on the back end. But the guys are really good at supporting it and things like that.
0: Yeah. So how long did it take to get it to where you weren't only sleeping four hours a day?
1: I probably, four hours a day, I got
0: back to like six to seven, probably within six months. Okay. So that's when the restaurant finally started stabilizing more, I guess, and you getting a hand.
1: From where we were at to where we are at, 100%. Yes. Stabilizing.
0: What that involve? I mean, is there a few simple tips for anyone who wants to open up a restaurant? What you'd have, again, I know this could probably be a whole nother episode, but were there a couple of key things that you did that we could learn from, maybe helped you from day one?
1: If you're thinking about opening a restaurant or any business whatsoever, if you haven't run it before, you're fucked. You're not going to do anything. You're going to do what I did. You're going to jump into it, figure it out, and go from there. Listen to yourself, watch the market, watch how things are operating, and you have to be able to adjust on the fly because that's what we did. We adjusted on the fly. So after I got my numbers and I saw, I talked to my employees. I wasn't like, I'm the boss, do what I say. It was like, hi, I'm the boss, but you guys work here. What do you guys need? To another point that I always preach and harp on, as a manager, owner, founder, CEO, entrepreneur, whatever, you work for your employees. They don't work for you. That's a whole nother episode. We'll get into that. But if you can't realize that, That you now work for them and all you do as a CEO is put out fires every day because that's what I do. No pun intended, but legitimately, I deal with stupid issues every day. That's what I do. Mm -hmm. Talk to your employees and say, what do you need to do your job better? And that's what I started doing. And we just started working through it as a team. And we made huge strides. I mean, in a week, in a week, we just transitioned the entire process and made it right. It was great. They were still evolving. We're constantly working on stuff. But you have to talk to the people that are actually in the trenches doing it. You have to realize that
0: you can't do it all. Believe me, I fucking tried. You can't do it. How long did it take to get profitable? Oh, we were profitable our first year. Wow, that's pretty good, especially um, hearing about day one.
1: You want to hear I got two funny stories on the opening because you'll like this. You can cut this in or whatever. One story was I finally got it under control where I could go back to my house. So I went back. Literally, I surprised my family. Hey, I'm here. Oh, daddy, daddy. They all run to me. I'm in the basement, and then the wife starts with the honey-do list. Well, can you do this? I'm like, are you kidding me right now, I'm not kidding. I'm like, really? <laughs> I'm,
0: I know, I know. I just painted the whole fucking house, so I, <laughs> <laughs> so
1: I go downstairs. I fill the fish tank, and mind you, I just redone my house. It was a new house, but we had, you know, done it up nice for ourselves. So I'm filling up the fish tank, and I'm checking it out. Well, I get a phone call, and I'm like, hello. They're like, the smokehouse is on fire. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> I'm not, I'm good. I'm not shitting you. I'm in the run of the house. My wife goes, what's wrong? Go, the smokehouse is on fire. I. Fucking fly! I was literally five minutes away. I think I made it in three minutes there. Did the fire beat- guys
0: call you or the employees? No, my manager called me. <laughs> right. I was joking.
1: So I'm like, "What in the shit?" So I fly there. I pulled up like at the same time that the fire trucks were there. Thank God the chief was a friend of mine. He immediately knew what to do. He ran inside, made sure there was zero smoke inside because if you get a fire and you get smoke inside, you're shut down. And I've got a full restaurant, dude, full restaurant because we're so new he's like, there's nothing inside. I'm like, seriously, make sure because, and I even went and checked for myself, just being in the, just knowing that. And I'm like, okay, we're good. So I didn't want to have anything happen to anybody. I, I mean, fuck the building. I wasn't going to let anything happen to anybody. So we get everybody out. We go back in. Didn't really miss a beat. My brother, thank God, takes a freaking lung full of smoke and puts it out. What had happened is it had been a really busy day. One of my guys was outside smoking and I said, put all your butts in the butt receptacle. I had a, Camera on the dumpster because we've had some issues with you know people digging through the trash and they just like to screw with shit. He takes his cigarette butt, flips it on the ground. The wind blew it underneath a bunch of cardboard we had stacked on the ground because we were so busy we had an overflow of boxes and we are only getting a pickup once a week and ignited the boxes underneath the dumpster, which was right next to the vinyl siding, which lit up the entire side of the building. I got so lucky it was unbelievable. Literally tore it all down, ripped it up. My buddy came out, replaced it in a day, everything was up and done. But it was funny because the fire guys called me and said, dude, you've never seen us drive that fast because we didn't want this place to burn down. It just opened. You know, it was hilarious.
0: what did you say to the employee?
1: To be honest, I was at a much different place. I pulled him outside and I cussed him out and just tried to beat into his head. And he was a different case. He was a different scenario. He came from a really troubled youth, you know, drugs, alcohol, way young and needed to hear that, kind of did a little wake up, a whole different story, kind of mentored him, Ended up not working. I put five years of my life into him that kind of bit me in my ass, but I don't regret it. I learned a lot from him. I think he learned a lot from me. Maybe someday it'll click, but I'm not going to lie. I fucking chewed his ass and told him he's lucky he's even got a job because they just, they didn't, they didn't listen. You know, you can, people say, oh, well, he's an asshole. You know what? I've probably got a reputation to be out there that I'm an asshole and I don't care, but people that really know me know how compassionate I am. And I actually try and mold my employees because I realize they don't want to work for me the rest of their lives. I'd love them to. But in my industry, that just doesn't happen. So I try and teach them to be better for the next person.
0: And you have to be that way. I mean, if you're not, if you're going to be passive, a passive owner on anything, right. what are they going to do? Walk over you, you know, and you're going to close right away unless you're actually going to be proactive about things again, even right. like booking this interview, like we said. Right. So yeah, you're profitable year one. So that sounds good. I mean, what else happened from there if we can fast forward? Fast forward, um,
1: we we're profitable year one. Quick story about being profitable. I actually had to, this is how
0: much money I didn't have going
1: back to why we built, uh, why it took so long to build it. I actually had to borrow $1,200 from a good friend of mine. He wrote me a personal check to put money in my drawers. Restaurant. you the restaurant. Yeah, yeah. And I'd have people that say, oh yeah, you got like six months in reserve, right? I'm like, no, I got like a hundred bucks in the bank. And they looked at me like, you're going to fucking fail. So again, adversity, having that chip on your shoulder, them telling me I couldn't do it. I wasn't going to let this thing fail. I was just going to hammer it home. So 2013 was when we really got into like the festivals and things like that. Chicago Rib Fest had come to us and asked us to do it in 2012. I had just opened and I said, I can't do it this year. I can't do it right. I need some time to build this thing. At The same time, the economic development director from Hunt Me, where I'm at now, came to me and said, we want you to build another restaurant. I said, dude, you got to give me five years. It just exploded. I mean, once I figured out the process, it just exploded. We had lines up the door. We'd run out of stuff. People couldn't understand. They didn't like this. They didn't like that. It just, it was a monster. And I just ran with it and compounded it and did it. Got everything up and running pretty much three years because I had my brother there with me. My mom helped. My wife helped out a little bit. Got it running under control. Actually was able to hire like a manager to do that. And at the same time, I'm trying to think 2012. So we're in 2017, which I'm trying to put a date on. this. 2016. Okay. I'm trying to, I'm making a point. It's all good. It's all good. good. My mom passed away unexpectedly. And I think 2016 it has been about three years now. Because there's going to be like a little lull here and you're going to, I need to make it understood why. Um, I kind of regressed back a little bit. My dad passed away unexpectedly in 2009. I had just finished my year on at the firehouse. So my dad never got to see my original smokehouse at all. Never got to meet any of my kids. So that sucked. But that made me stronger. I didn't get into a bottle. I literally buckled down and did what I had to do. So there's a little backstory on why I'm such a psycho and what and I do what I do. My mom helps me build this. She's coming to work for me. Well, finally comes to work for me full time. And like three weeks later, she passes away unexpectedly of a brain aneurysm she had that nobody knew about. They thought it was a brain tumor. So that sucks. Well, I kind of, you know, six months to a year, I'm kind of like, what am I going to do here? Well, realize that I'm just going to forge forward and kind of use that as motivation to, she wouldn't want me to stop. She wouldn't want me to fold it up, pack it up and be done with it she wanted me to press forward. So those are the things I think about that go through my head. When people tell me, I can't do this, you won't do that. I can't hear you. Like You don't know me. You shouldn't feel bad for me. I put myself in this situation. I like to work like an asshole. So that's what gives me purpose, giving back and doing that. So yeah, we fast forward, strike the deal. And that deal had been in the works since about
0: 2016. To strike a deal to open up the second restaurant? Yeah, to open up the okay. second restaurant. So did this one open up a little bit better than the first one? It did, but it was still a shit show.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, it was still like we opened up in November of 2018. Yeah, 18. After we had been, you know, in 2016, I had gone to 16 fests across the country. We'd been all over the country winning awards for our ribs, our pork, our sauce, just building the business and building the brand. So well,
0: was that because you had bought like a truck that you said you're going to festivals yeah. too? So that was kind of extra part of your business, if you will, right?
1: A hundred percent. If people go on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, they see this thing. It's a monstrosity. It's a portable facade. It's 40 feet wide by 50 feet tall. It's monster with our name on it. And you like example, we go down to Chicago Rib Fest. We set up for three days. We run four lines and we serve a thousand slabs of ribs with six. Now, mind you, 16 other vendors. So there's 16 other rib guys doing similar volume to us, And this is where you play with the big boys. You're like, okay, what am I made of? I'm going to Chicago. This little guy out of Woodstock. Well, the first year we did the event, we ended up on Food Network. They put our pretzel bomb on national television and people, it just exploded. I had one little trailer. All of a sudden I got to buy another setup. I got to buy three more smokers. I mean, it just kept going.
0: Yeah, so that's how you're kind of getting your brand out. Okay, I'm looking at it too. That's how
1: we branded it. The only regret I don't have is I wasn't more active on social media. Now I've got it all. So I mean, you're going to see the next couple of years, I'm going to blow this thing up even more but I've got all the stories. I've got all the content. I just didn't capitalize on that because I, I was too busy executing and being in the trenches and doing this shit. I wasn't standing back drinking beer and going, yeah, guys, that looks good. No, I'm the one that runs the smoker at these events because we have to turn out. It cooks 100 slabs of ribs at a time. And I've got to be the one to turn that smoker over otherwise we run out of ribs and it costs me money because it's huge money to go to these things. Some I give up 20%. Some there's a big fee and then you travel. I mean, I have hotel rooms for my staff and we don't stay in shit. They sacrifice, they work their ass off. We stay in nice ass hotels. We go out to dinner. I buy them dinner. I take care of them.
0: Yeah. So it's a BBQ King Smokehouse is your Instagram, I guess, or?
1: Yeah, at BBQ King Smokehouse, I believe is the uh, Instagram, yep.
0: Yeah, so I see on that. So I see what you're talking about, how when you set it up, it looks like huge. Yeah. (laughs) Set up. Yeah, you can't miss it. It almost looks like a two-story building, kind of. Yep,
1: not at all. Yep, you can't miss it at all.
0: Okay. Yeah, so you're doing that on the side. Then you're opening up your second business or your second spot. I mean, is there anything else before we close out the interview as far as, I guess, opening up the second restaurant or anything else that we could learn here?
1: Second restaurant was, it's the first time I built a new building. So there was a lot of headaches and things to go into that. I don't think there's any real value there unless you're in construction management. But opening up the second one, I knew exactly what I wanted. Again, I was hands-on. I was there. When I opened it, same thing, different animal, full service. We were way better equipped. Because we had our par numbers, we had our recipes, we had the structure, but you still don't know what this restaurant's going to do. You still don't know how people are going to react. It was still two months of literally placing everything and saying, okay, these to-go containers go here, these paper towels go here, and then hiring people, hiring people that don't bullshit you. I can tell you this, for anybody that's listening, as an entrepreneur, right now, you're going to have a hard time finding good quality help. That's across any industry. Yeah. Be quick to hire and
0: be quick to fire. That's what we found out. Oh, man, for sure. I mean, I think that's the hardest part, really. It you is. really don't know till you actually hire them and they work for you. You don't. And then also, they could be good workers at some point in their life, but maybe something happens in their life and then they're not a good worker for a couple of years and it happens to be when you hire them. It's like there's so many right. different things that variables that go into it. Yeah, I can definitely see that being an issue with, especially in the restaurant industry, right? Right. One of the things that's worked for us
1: is, We're pretty empathetic to people and their schedules. I mean, we actively hire all the time. And I tell people, hire 50 people, I don't care. Because you're going to get call-offs. You're going to get to know these people. I ask people in an interview, why do you want this job? I'm like, don't give me a bullshit answer. Just tell me why you want it. But I
0: used to interview people. (laughs) I like just saying that too, right afterwards. Don't give me a bullshit
1: answer, right? (laughs) Right. Because you're going to get the job. Like You're hired, but tell me why you want to be here. If you're here because you're home from school, you have three months to work, you can make a shit ton of money in the restaurant industry, and you heard we're busy and you make money, I can respect that. I'm giving you a Ferrari. I need you to drive it down the Autobahn and make a ton of money. I don't need you to implement and do things. That's my job. But be honest with me, because I will hire you, you'll make a bunch of money, but then I know I have to replace you. So when Susie goes back to college, I know that I've got to make sure I've got somebody to replace her. Or if it's our slow time, we don't have to replace her. Two things happen there. Every single college person that I hire usually comes back to work with me for the next four years during the summer. My staff that works for me full-time has the ability to take some vacation during the summertime when we are our busiest of all, which is good for them. Some of these people, it's a difference between being a career server or a career manager or a career executive chef for me than just being a server, having a summertime job or being a busboy. I want to know that because that is going to determine the time and the energy I'm going to put into you. I've got managers. My one manager has been with me for seven years. I've literally groomed her and mentored her to be who she is today. And she's completely thankful for it. She's going to these classes. Like, should I go to business class? You do whatever you want to do. She comes back. She's like, this sucks. She's like, you've taught me all this and wait. I'm <laughs> right. like, perfect. I'm like, we're good. Another thing I can say about that is every single person that I fired or has quit has come back to me. And I've taken back two out of the, like six or seven. Now it's a lot more. There's probably 10 or 12, but I've taken some of them back, but others I haven't. And the key for any young person listening, it's how you leave. It's your integrity. The way you're going to find out is if you're working for somebody that has good intent or a good entrepreneur, somebody that's successful, and most people that have built their shit from the ground up and is successful, it will be like this. And not everybody, but most of them. When they leave on the right terms, like I've had guys literally even say, hey dude, I like it here, but I got to go see what's on the other side of the fence. I don't want to leave, but I have to just for me. When he came back to me in a month, because his job sucked and he really realized that he doubted his gut, but he had to prove it to him for himself. I take him back. Why wouldn't I? It'd be stupid not to. So if you leave on the right terms, don't be looking in the short term this is the biggest thing I'd tell aspiring entrepreneurs. Don't look in the short term. Look to the long term. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Build relationships, do things that bring people value. And here's the kicker where you really have a hard time with. Don't expect anything from anybody. Don't do something with the intent that they're gonna owe you. That's fucking wrong. Do it because you generally are a good person and do it because you want to do the right thing, and life will get fucking really simple, really fast. And the amount of success you will have and the money that will follow will blow your mind if you really truly believe that and you really truly execute it.
0: So what still do firefighting?
1: To be honest, the human race really disappoints me sometimes. <laughs> It really does. I mean, I'm gonna. I believe you. you. I know it. The shit that I see. I don't think
0: you're a bullshitter. I can I'm from not. this interview. I mean, so I believe you when you say that. So it's fine. <laughs> the shit that I see is unbelievable. Right. But what
1: it does for me is because I think it's very important for me and who I am as a person to keep me self-aware. It keeps me grounded. This is why I I'm so glad I'm doing this. I'm so glad I'm getting out on social media, and I hope to really bring value to some people because I really am passionate and believe about this because. I used to not do this. I used to give all the accolades to my team, which I still do, but they wanna talk to me. But then I came off like an asshole because, oh, he's too good for us. No, I didn't think I was good enough. I didn't think people wanted to hear what I had to say. I didn't think people wanted to talk to me. I didn't think that I was worthy of being interviewed for that. Give the accolades to my team. They're the ones that did all the work. I just guided them to do it. So what it does for me is it keeps me grounded, but also in the last year, I've learned that people are listening to me and I need to harness that because I can do more good by not listening to the haters that say he's a dick for acting this way and just embrace it and say I'm confident enough in what I've built and if you actually know me and look what i built there's going to be some value out of that because I'm doing it. I'm not just sitting here preaching about it and telling you what to do. I'm not going to give you any advice that I haven't done myself. That's a fact. So the firehouse Every time I go there, it just keeps me grounded to realize that there are people out there that don't know a lot of things that I know. You know, things that come second nature for me, like how to market a brand or how to build a business or how to hire employees or how to be Dr. Phil. I tell them, doctors in session, I have employees coming all the time. Who is this? You need business, Jason, or Dr. Phil, Jason? Which clock are we running here? You start treating people like that, there's some real shit that gets done. There's some real life situations that happen. When I've got a 19-year-old kid coming to me saying, my dad wants me to go into the Air Force, but I like it here. That's real. That's no bullshit. What do you say to him? I tell him to do what you love, man. Don't listen. Unfortunately, whether it's your mom, and here's another point. Whether it's your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your wife, your boyfriend, girlfriend, your boss, your coworker, whoever is holding you back. Now, listen, you will not be successful unless you squash that and you reconcile that and you stop listening to them. Now, I don't mean disrespect them, tell them to go fuck off. I mean, don't hear what they have to say. As much as my wife, my wife owns 51% of everything, okay? Because she's not going anywhere, neither am I. She built the company with me. She was there with my kids, my household, while I was building the company. We're a partner, 50-50 equal, or well, not really, but you know what I'm saying. Don't worry about what anybody thinks. And I'm not saying disrespect them. But as much as my wife is part of our business, she owns the most of it, I don't consult her on the decisions we make in this company. I run the company. Like, I want to go in a direction, I go. And trust me, that's hard to deal with for her because she doesn't really see the full picture. Her job, and we agreed upon it. So for all people, that says, oh yeah, she's barefooted, and pregnant in the house. No bullshit. If she wants to work, she can go to work. If she wants to stay home, that was a whole agreement that we had before we started this whole thing. So I'll put it the context. But you have to make sure that you don't value other people's opinions More than the opinion of yourself, that is detrimental to you. You can't do that. So I told him, hey, you have to do what makes you happy. You have to drown these people out and die on your own sword. I would rather die on my own sword and fail than be successful under
0: somebody else's regime. Yeah. And about being happy. Like you said, we're talking about your brother, even talking about that when he was making right 80, 90,000 bucks. And then he comes to work for you for what, 30,000 or so because he wanted to be happy. how many people probably told him not to do that?
1: Oh, but he's like me. He didn't give a shit. Right, like, exactly. He didn't give a shit when I wanted to expand the company. and I'm like, I'll offer you triple. I want you to do this. He goes, I fucking hate people. I don't want to do this. Now he's like a logistics manager for a shipping company. And he does his woodworking and his DJ stuff on the side. He's happier than shit. So good for him. And the other point to that is, don't be fooled. Entrepreneurship is not for everybody. It's for certain people. You'll know if you have it. I love the process. That's a fact. Making $50,000 a year. Spending time being the greatest father you can be, playing your volleyball league, your dart league, playing flag football, going out, having barbecues every weekend, as long as you're happy, awesome. I respect the shit out of that. But don't come to me, which so many people do, and say, oh, it must be nice to go on five vacations a year. It must be nice to have this nice stuff. Oh, you're making so much money. Listen, motherfucker, I busted my ass day in and day out. Don't tell me what I did. I know what I did. I will respect you. I will not judge you, but don't judge me for having what I have based on how I got it. That's the only problem I have with people. Be very clear on this message. You can make $20,000 a year. As long as you're happy, that's all I want for people. I just want people to be happy, and
0: that is it. I kind of think the same thing. It's like, who cares as long as you're happy, right? And what makes you happy, personally, is growing these businesses and doing all that. But
1: the process,
0: I love the process. What does it get any coverage or people really talk about is how much work you actually have to put in to get there. And so I think that kind of rounds out kind of the three things that you were talking about in the beginning, right? I think one was talking about working your ass off. Isn't that it? And I think you've exemplified that. Right. Two is the self-awareness is like understanding what makes you happy and this is what makes you happy, but that might not make everyone happy. The guy who delivers pizza, if he's happy delivering pizza and he gets to play video games all day, that's his choice. Absolutely,
1: and I respect the shit out of that.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. It's like sometimes I wish I was like that, but other times, you know, I'm like, it would be nice to do that, but I'm like, that's their choice. You wouldn't be happy doing that, though, and you know you wouldn't. Exactly. You'd be broken. You'd be miserable. Yeah, and then I guess the last thing is, like you're saying, don't do it for the money because I think that was pretty obvious when it at least took you even two years to build a restaurant, right? If you were doing it for the money, then you would have stopped before you even opened.
1: Right. Because when you do it for the money, you're broken, you've
0: lost already. And the reason you have is because
1: you will let that money drive take over and you will take shortcuts and you'll do whatever you have to do to drive a profit and make money rather than stay the course and build a legacy or build a long-term business. I see it all the time. Especially in the restaurant industry.
0: So, I guess looking back, I mean, I know we kind of went full circle with me even kind of writing down those points and making sure we hit on that. I mean, is there any last thing that you wanted to leave with everybody as far as before we close the call? And then also, what's the best way for them to reach you to say thank you for doing the interview?
1: Email. You can email me at jsmurlo, S Z M U R L O, at bbqkingsmokehouse.com. It's the best way to get a hold of me or DM me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Follow all those. I follow those pretty closely. No bullshit. Any question. If I brought you any value, I'd just like to know about it to make sure that I'm on the right path. I literally consulted a lady the other day on her bakery for free because I believed in her product and I believed in her. She sent me an email the other day and said, thank you so much. And I didn't even expect that from her. I just wanted to see her succeed because I saw how much she was struggling. So any question, any advice, just let me know. It might take me a couple of days to get back to you, but I'll eventually get back to you. I categorize all that stuff. I'm very busy, but I will definitely get back to you. Because I think it's contagious. It's like hitting in baseball. I think the more good people that are out there, it's contagious.
0: If anyone wants to send you an email, again, check your episode notes below as far as like we'll have a link to your social media stuff and all that stuff so they can say thank you for doing the interview. Yep. Again, Jason, yeah, I appreciate your time and enjoyed your story and telling it all along the way. So thank you again for coming on the show. Awesome. Thank you very much, Austin. Like this episode? Here's some other profanity laced episodes that you'll enjoy and probably shouldn't be listened to in a family environment. Episode 117 with Peter Kraft of Evo Labs. Episode 86 with Tim Sykes, he's a well known penny trader. Episode 115 with Mark Lazarick, where he talks about his fireworks and sparklers companies. And episode 83 with Jason Saltzman of Alley Coworking. And to be honest, Some of these profanity-laced episodes are actually some of my favorites. And, well, speaking of favorites, we've recently updated some of our older episodes, and that got me brainstorming. So, if you're new to the show or want to check out some of my other favorite episodes, well, then scroll down in your episode feed right now. Are you doing it? Well, if you are, you'll notice we've thrown in a star emoji, at the beginning of some of those episodes so again those are some of our favorites overall obviously all of them are amazing but if you're new you probably want to get started with some of those and last but not least if you want to help support the show and get some extra exclusive episodes don't forget to join our patreon membership and again you can find more information in your episode notes